Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Britflix.com Frightfest preview podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and who is my guest today? How you doing, John Kanats, the director of Goddess of Love? How you doing, Stuart? I'm doing very well, sir. Doing very well. Now, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of Goddess of Love? Yeah, it's always a tough one because it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those movies where like I when I start trying to explain it, it can go on for like way too long, but it's hard to get it in like one sentence. But I guess essentially, um, it, it it's 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 about a woman's sort of demise into madness um, when her boyfriend leaves her. So she's sort of uh, already on edge, and that sort of triggers it, and we just kind of follow her into insanity. So proper psychosexual drama then. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely sexuality to it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've never, I don't personally consider it psychosexual, mm. but I think that's what most people will probably categorize it as. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's definitely got sexuality. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's psycho. I can definitely say it's, it's, so, it's so, so it's more the woman scorned than anything else. Okay. Yeah. And where that leads yeah. it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I'm going to give you a ratio now, which is not scientific. It's just elements of a movie. And if they were all equal parts, they would they would make up one one movie if everything was equal. So you've got 20, 20% gore, 20% scares, 20% psychological, 20% drama, 20% comedy. Now, I know no film really is made up like that at all. So knock out what you don't need. What would be the makeup of your movie? Um, say them one more time. I've got, and I missed off one as well because I keep forgetting. There's actually six that I've, I mean, I've accumulated this knowledge through the podcast, to be honest with you. I started off with just 50% scares to gore, and obviously that doesn't apply to most films at Fright Fest now. Um, right. because it's the dark heart of cinema, not a horror festival. So it's, right. you know, the, there's, the scope is much wider. So you've got, you've got mystery, drama, scare, gore, 
psychological and someone else comedy comedy i'd say there's no uh there's not a lot of gore um and scary mm, maybe a little not much i'd say it's more psychological dramatic mysterious um probably that those would be the ones that that make up the film so it's erring uh, it? towards the kind of thriller end of the more on the thriller end, but there's some blood. There's def it's it's violent. There's mm. definitely some violence to it, um, uh, at, and in areas. But in terms of gore, I just wouldn't use the word gore for this particular film. Of course not, no. And uh, and the reason there is a it's a differentiator. I mean, there's people I've spoke to are doing films about whether or not God exists. You know, so there's really nothing to do with gore whatsoever. And yeah, well, I've never played Fright Fest before. We're super excited to to premiere there. Um, and I've, I've known about the festival for a long time, obviously, but I, I wasn't sure if they were more horror focused, but I guess they're more open to, cause I, it's funny, like I wouldn't say Goddess of Love classifies as a pure horror film. It's much more in the thriller world. This has some horror elements to it, but it's really cool that Fright Fest picked it up. I wasn't sure if they were more looking for the, you know, more specifically pure horror films. You well, know? no, like I say, I mean, they, they, they build themselves as the, as the uh, dark heart of cinema. So that's, that, that's, that's a pretty broad church. Right. Uh, I mean, last year they had things like, um, do you ever see Riley Stein, R Riley Stern's faults, for example? Uh, I didn't say, I know I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I mean, that was a, that was a one room drama about a man who's trying to deprogram a girl who's, who's locked into a cult. Right. Right. You know, so it's really, that is a proper kind of, you know, proper dark psychological drama. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, that's definitely got us to love. Is it's it's dark psychological drama for sure. Good man, good man. Now, where where and when can people see it then at Frightfest? Okay, so it is screening uh, at six forty-five p.m. on uh, August thirty-first uh, at Leicester Square. <laughs> sounded uh, like a pro. Sounded like a pro when I said that, uh, and it's. Um, yeah, which is 3 Cranbourne Street, Leicester Square, uh, View West End. I haven't been to London, so I don't know these areas, but that's... Well, let's, uh, let me give you a context then, John. Leicester Square is where all the big premieres take place. If, if, right. you, see, if you see the cameras, the world's media, on a, on a premiere in the centre of London, that'll be Leicester Square. Okay. There are, there are five cinemas around Leicester Square. Okay. Potentially, let me think now. What that means, translating screens wise, in in a space that's probably as big as a football pitch, and a, and a, you can be an American football pitch or a or a UK soccer one. Uh, there's probably about forty screens, I think. Wow. Across cool. like the cinemas, something silly like that. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's where the red carpet happens when they do premieres in the UK. Oh, that's cool. That's very exciting. I unfortunately can't make it to the festival. I wish I could. I'm 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 deep into another project right now that I can't get away from. But uh, our producer and star of the film, Alexis Kendra, is going to be there. She's getting on a plane uh, tomorrow. Fantastic. Um, so she'll be there for the screening, and she's going to be there for a Q and A uh, after the screening as well. So hopefully, anybody who decides to go should stick around and, and check that out. She'll have a lot to say about the film. So she's very excited to go. I'm sure, I'm sure. Now, um, now you, you co-wrote this as well as directed it, yeah? Yeah, Alexis and I both wrote it. Uh, I directed, she produced, and starred in it. And we actually played a whole lot of positions. She did the production <laughs> design as well. Uh, and I, I was also the cinematographer. Um, 
and she did makeup and in certain areas and and uh yeah we 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 really wore a bunch of hats on this one for sure <laughs> well then well then what give us give us then the genesis of this idea and then as you think about that um where what were the sort of hardest challenges to resolve in storytelling terms once you started to build that idea up well the idea came from um I know it doesn't sound as exciting as I'd like it to be, but it really just came from we just really wanted to make a movie, <laughs> in all honesty. Uh, we had uh, – both of us have, have been out you know, in the Hollywood industry for a while, and, and uh, we'd sort of come off some projects that um, you know, were great experiences but not really allowing us to have our kind of voice and do what we want to do and, and you know, some politics that kind of get in the way of, of – of uh, you know the kind of voice we want to have as filmmakers, so we came out of that experience and we said let's make our own film, um, and and we said okay great, and and it really became sort of what work around what we have access to, work around stuff that we're familiar with, and Alexis kind of said I'd love to play a movie about a woman who goes insane, um, because that's just fun, that's something for her to chew on as an actress. Cool. And I said, great, let's do that. And uh, I, I don't know, it was so basic when she initially said it, but it was actually the perfect sort of sentence for me to hear because I, I, it just gave me a, a starting off point. And then we just started brainstorming from there and kind of going, you know, I started thinking about films like Repulsion and, um, you know, uh, Taxi Driver and people, you know, focusing on an individual who's sort of on the brink and, and, and who's sort of cracking and... Mm. Uh, and I'd say one of the biggest challenges from that was really kind of going, okay, well, we're going to be focusing on one particular person for most of the movie. Now, there are other characters that play major parts in the film, but for the most part, for example, like a movie like Repulsion, you know, you're with Catherine the whole time and you're, um, you know, you want to make sure that their, uh, their character is interesting enough to, to, uh, to keep everyone's attention. So, of course, of course. Uh, that was a bit of a challenge. Um, but uh, but I think we made it work. Is Venus, who Alexis plays in the film, her name's Venus. She uh, she goes through a lot. She's sort of <laughs> she's always on the go. She's always on the move, and she's she's not sort of locked in one location. Often she's she's traveling around. She's you know as she's going crazier and she's meeting people and she's getting caught up in these crazy adventures and situations so i think it, it and she keeps sort of meeting new people along the way so it's, it it keeps your attention so in that sense do we do we start off with the assumption that she's pretty straight down the line normal and the film triggers her mental state as it were uh no you you know you definitely know that there's something off with uh, okay. initially but she, for the most part, appears normal. You think, hopefully, the, the, the intention was that you, you can see that here's a woman who, um, you know, is, is blending into society well enough. Um, but we can see that there's, there's something going on. She's, there's, there's something out of place. And uh, she's, you definitely get the sense that she's a bit of a loner and she's a bit awkward, socially awkward. Um, but at the same time, I think she's very relatable in the sense that she's um, she's normal enough. She 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 wants the same things that that normal people want. Specifically, uh, uh, finding love. So, you know, as sort of awkward as she might be in certain areas, she still is looking for 
you know, her king and someone she can connect with emotionally. And she's very uh, sort of lovable and sweet and nice, but she's got a real dark side that will come out uh, if things don't work properly for her. And I'm, and I'm guessing for this film to work, then things don't work out properly and all, now, of, all the buttons are pressed. <laughs> no, they don't. I mean, um, I'm always more interested in the demise of a relationship than the sort of growing of one in a film. I think it's just more interesting uh, and fun and exciting to explore as a maker. Um, so we, we focus a certain amount on them, on her and this, this guy, Brian, who she falls for, sort of getting together so that you can really understand that there's a connection there. Hmm. Uh, so, so, when, think, so when you were, when you were developing this then, so what, what became, you said, I mean, I think it was, what you were insinuating there is that at the beginning was that the difficulty was trying to keep her interesting because most of the focus is on her. Right. So, so then in story, in, in scripting terms, and how did you use the other characters to, to sort of magnify her sense of sort of her growing sense of uh, uh, the growing dark side coming out of her as it were? Well, it's really sort of a triangle of people. So there's there's Venus, there's Brian, and then there's this woman named Christine. Okay. Um, and those are sort of the three main characters um, because Venus essentially gets wrapped up with this guy, Brian, who um, is in a bit of a dark place himself because his wife died, uh, you know, about a year prior. Um, and he's sort of gotten a little close now to his wife, his dead wife's, uh, best friend Christine. They've sort of obviously got a little closer while Brian dealt with the death of his wife and her best friend dying. So Venus Venus gets involved with Brian and starts to have a jealousy with Christine because Christine's kind of around more than she would like. Um, so v, that's sort of how you know Venus is is alone often in the film, but she's also sort of dealing and interacting with these two, and uh, but usually separately. Um, and then there's a couple other, you know, smaller characters that come about that she, she deals with, but a lot of stuff that's happening, um, it starts to kind of blur the line of what's happening and what actually is just in her head. And it starts to get a little confusing for Venus as well for the audience. Okay, cool, cool. Sounds nice. Um, so when you, you've, you've alluded to, um, everybody doing all the jobs they can to make this film happen with you, with you saying that you were cinematographer and and Alexis was, was doing makeup and stuff like getting involved with makeup as well as acting in and writing and producing production design, mainly that was production design. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So so in terms of, in terms of the shoot itself, once you were, once you were there with the finished script and you were progressing through what you needed to cat, what you needed to get on film, what, what, what elements of the shoot seemed most insurmountable and what were the kind of breaks or what, what, what creative solutions did you come up with to get past that? Well, uh, for starters, us playing um, multiple positions was was actually, I'd say, even more of a choice than a necessity. I mean, in certain okay. areas, when you're making independent film, you you have to play multiple positions. But sure. I loved the idea of shooting the film myself, and Alexis absolutely goes nuts for production design and loved the idea of doing that. So we just decided to take on those roles because um, we just really wanted the control. Uh, and, uh, that in itself just, just causes a lot of headache because you're trying to balance two to three, you know, massive positions on a set. Um, but it was also important to me to keep the set small and intimate. I didn't, you know, 
I wanted to do something different. And I'm not saying that all films should be made this way by any means, but I, I, I I'd sort of come off a few projects that were the, on the bigger scale where you've got, you know, 40, 50, 60 people around all the time. And I wanted this to be smaller and tighter and controlled. So there was only a handful of us on set. Uh, so we could really just focus and, and, and also in terms of shooting it, um, we took our time. We were, we, we allowed ourselves to take our time. We wanted to get it right. So we didn't sort of blast through a crazy 14 day shoot to try and get her done. Um, we shot it sort of unconventionally over a couple months, um, so that we could just, you know, focus and take our time and get it right. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of how we did things. I don't know if I answered your question <laughs> perfectly. No, 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 because it's more just to get into the, get an insight into into the challenges of making a film. Because obviously, not every film comes up against a massive hurdle you got to jump over. I mean, it sounds right. like it sounds like a lot of proactive decisions were taken. Yeah, that, it was, that, and it was quite a challenge when you are trying to balance all those positions. I mean, um, for me directing and shooting the film it's um it's tough i mean i i love cinematography but um you know i knew this would be something that would probably be a one-time thing for me and and i wanted to have the experience and i really loved it but it's quite tough there's definitely times where i wish i because I, <laughs> I was operating a camera as well i was even pulling my own focus so it it was a lot to sort of balance all at the same time uh, yeah and, yeah because you go you're going from like that kind of macro helicopter shot for everything going on to suddenly you're in control of what's actually being shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're sort of right in there and all of a sudden you're, you're, you have to start thinking about, you know, uh, F stops and, and, and where are you going to plug this light in? And, and that, that gets tricky to then bounce back and start thinking about performance and all that sort of thing. I was so, going to say, how did you judge, how were you able to judge that? Did you, did you have, did you have kind of allies amongst the set that were able to sort of give you a viewpoint of performance from a wider point of view or was being, the camera operator, a perspective I, that man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened exactly, but <laughs> it's amazing what you're capable of if you really want it. Okay. And it's, it just blows my mind what, what the brain's actually capable of doing because I, I agree. I felt the same way. I thought, well, how am I going to really watch performance here while I'm framing a shot and pulling focus at the same time? And it's crazy. You you actually get into this. I guess I pumped myself up for it so much that somehow I was able to watch all of them happening at once. I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I <laughs> maybe I think I did, and I actually sucked. But I think I did good. And uh, I uh, I don't know. You almost get into this kind of zone, man. I don't know how to explain it. I just I was so revved up for this whole thing, and and. So Somehow I was watching them simultaneously, and uh, you start to get a sort of the the focus pulling that I was doing started to become second nature. You know, like riding a bike because you just you just start to know. Oh, I feel the individual mo moving closer to me, so I know I got to pull my hand to the left or the right or whatever. And that just sort of started to happen. Um, and then I was really just watching those performances, you know, while I was shooting. I guess sounds a lot more like patting your head and rubbing your tummy, really. Yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things that. You, you kind of go, oh, well, there's no way. That's not the right way to do it. But if you have to do it, if there's no other choice and you approach it like there's no other choice, you can do it. It's possible. Mm. Cool. No, sounds, sounds brilliant. Um, so, like you say, Alexis is going to be here for the, uh, for, the sh for, the, for the film being shown yeah. um, at Fright Fest. What, what aspects of the movie? I mean, I don't mean for you to give us like a, a huge plot point or a, or a major <laughs> spoiler, but... What, what what are you most excited for the Fright Fest audience to sort of 
experience or, or react to in terms of what you've done with Goddess of Law? Oh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I definitely, for me, I'm the most excited about people watching a film through um, sort of the, the antagonist's eyes. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, when we started making this film, it, we kind of went, well, you know, take a movie like Fatal Attraction or, or, or Misery, and, you know, what would it be like watching Misery through Kathy Bates' eyes? I mean, I know it's bizarre, and a lot of people would say, oh, don't do that. You know, the, the audience needs to identify with the protagonist and connect with them, which I think, in, in, you know, for the most part is true, and you should, but I think it, it's interesting sometimes to try something a little different um, because take someone like Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction, as crazy as she is, uh, she doesn't think she's crazy. What she's, what she's doing is completely justified. She's not running around going, oh, I'm fucking nuts. I can do whatever I want because I'm crazy. She actually thinks everyone else is crazy. And Michael Douglas is crazy for not being with her. So what is that like to experience through her eyes and her perspective? And that's really the approach we're taking with, uh, with God of Love. Okay, so it's a sense. It's, so it's a sense of it's not so much because I'm guessing there must be quite a bit of empathy towards her then that you get for Venus, even though she's sort of showing signs that you know we wouldn't possibly want to date her ourselves. But I, I believe so. I think certain people will take it differently. I think some people will kind of go, "Oh my God, she's nuts! I wouldn't go near." But I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. Certainly in, in the beginning and, and throughout, there's a lot of things that Venus is doing in the film that are very relatable. You know, there's 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 those moments when she's when the relationship is now, you know, the honeymoon phase is over and things aren't as exciting anymore between Venus and Brian. And Brian's actually starting to kind of pull away, and Venus is just longing for his attention. And she, you know, you know those moments when she. She texts him and she's kind of waiting for him to text back. Why hasn't he texted back yet? You know, and then she texts him a second time, writing, you know, did you get my last text? But she doesn't know if she wants to send that because maybe it's coming off too strong. And I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, that, in in that sense, I think she's very relatable. Um, But I think what makes Venus different is when things start to get worse and, you know, in reality, if somebody starts breaking your heart, you may have some 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 dark thoughts about that. You might think, you know, God, I'd like to get revenge, or I'd like to throw a rock through the window, or something. But of course, you never do. Um, but Venus does. Well, yeah, and I guess I guess the, 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 there is a cycle, isn't there? Which is that kind of denial, which is soon followed by anger. You know, it's kind of this isn't happening. This is oh, it is happening. I better do something about it. And what I do won't be that logical. I think heartbreak is one of the most powerful emotions. I mean, you can take some of the the most well-put-together individuals, and if they get their heart broken, they're just not the same for a little while. They're they're not focused. They're thinking differently in, in your heart so vulnerable. So you take someone like Venus, who's unfortunately got that dark side already in her, um, and that she's on the brink of insanity. It's it's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> It's good. That's, that could almost be like a little tagline on the poster. Yeah, recipe for disaster. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's remind people, when, when and where can they see the movie? Okay, so uh, the movie is screening Monday, August 31st at 6.45 p.m. View West End, 3 Cranbourne Street, Leicester Square. Perfect, perfect. Like sound pretty, pretty pro? You, you sound like a cockney there for a second, I think. <laughs> good. <laughs> 
now, one last question I'd like to ask everybody. Um, and it's because I'm doing this for Britflix, and usually we only do British filmmakers. But because Fright okay. Fest is such a big British film event, we like I, I get to, and I'm I'm in, I'm a hor- I'm into horror myself. So I, well, I I'm Canadian, so I'm kind of British. You hope you're, you're part, part of the Commonwealth. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> now look, everyone's welcome for Fright Fest. You see, that's the thing. But yeah. just to get me back on message, I like to get uh, the guests on the podcast to to tell me their favourite British horror film. Ooh, British horror film. Um. <laughs> Um, what's my favorite British horror film? Why am I, I I suddenly wanted to say American Werewolf in London, but that's not a British horror film now, is it? Or would that classify as a British horror film? I I will give you it because, and I've been told it's not, obviously it's a US studio picture, but I mean, I grew up with that one and, um, I did a survey on the British Britflix website Mm. and I included it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because it's i mean that's that's uh that one's pretty awesome i mean that one always always sticks in my head um let me i don't know i gotta think of like uh, uh the descent i loved the descent yeah that's that that's a very um, i mean that's a very that's been popular with a lot of the, the podcast guests that one the 1973 version of wicker man not the remake. <laughs> the um, only version of Wicker Man. The only version of Wicker Man. Wicker Man is right up there. Now that's that is that's an awesome movie. That's a bizarre one. Well, I think I think that's I think that, I think you've plugged enough there. That'll that'll do for me. Okay. Uh, well, look. Thank you very much for uh, for actually one last thing um, for those people that aren't at Fright Fest. Is there, is there an official release date for Goddess of Love yet, or is it about to go in tour festivals and the like? No official release date yet. Um, we've still got festivals to go. Uh, like a, like Fright Fest is our world premiere since so our first oh, okay. one. We're still going to be doing more after this. Um, oh, so no okay. official date yet now. All right. Well, look, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Stu. It's the If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.